Be seated. God's beloved people, grace to you and peace from God our Maker and from our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible is filled with grand language about God, bold declarations about God's character and activity, beautiful poetry that seeks to wrap words around this mystery that is God. The rich variety of biblical language depicts the broad scope of God's work in history in every age across time and space. But I have to confess that in all of this language, it is the stories that capture my attention the most, that ask me to stop and look and listen. Stories have a particularity about them that draw me in. They are about particular people in the particular circumstances of their lives. I'm invited to reflect on God's activity, not so much on a grand scale, but on a more personal level, God's presence in my life, in your life, in the lives of our neighbors. This is true of the readings we have before us today. Our gospel text is a small story, just a handful of verses, barely worthy of entry into the canon, I guess, because Luke is the only one who includes it. It takes place near a tiny village in the backwater of Galilee, where Jesus encounters a widow on her way to bury her only son. We don't know much about this widow, not even her name. But I guess at the same time, we know a good deal about her. We know that she was enduring one of life's cruelest circumstances, the death of a child. We know it's not the first time that death swallowed a member of her family. We know that with no husband and no son, her future was precarious. Shrouded in sorrow and in fear, she joined the ranks of the millions of people who live in fear of falling through society's cracks. Maybe that's what Jesus saw when his crowd ran into her crowd at the gate of the city. The text reads that Jesus saw her. I think this was with more than his eyes. He recognized her situation, her predicament, and something deep inside of him was moved. Though she was a stranger, he was filled with compassion for her. So he did what came naturally. He reached out and touched the stretcher that carried the corpse. He called the son back to life. This no-name woman and her no-name son were given back to each other, restored, revived, revivified by the divine compassion of Christ. We see this same compassion at work in our first reading where we meet another widow without a name. The prophet Elijah encountered her on what had to be the worst day of her life. After years of drought and famine, she and her son were down to their last crumbs of flour, their last drops of oil. With what I imagine to be a quiet, desperate resolve, she was gathering sticks for a fire to eat their last meal before they started down that path to starvation. But her task was interrupted by Elijah. A little context here is helpful because it is so unlikely 
that this man and this woman would have ever run into each other. She lived deep in enemy territory, not only in the land of the Gentiles, those thought to be unclean, but in the homeland of Elijah's nemesis, Queen Jezebel. Now, if you don't remember anything about Queen Jezebel, she is depicted in Scripture sort of like Bellatrix Lestrange. And if you haven't read the Harry Potter series, <laughs> just think evil. Jezebel married Israel's King Ahab, who we learn from the biblical writer did more to anger God than all of Israel's other kings combined, which is quite a feat because many of them were quite wicked. Elijah went to the king and queen and told the truth on behalf of Yahweh, called them out on their wicked ways, on their idolatry. And then he turned and ran into the wilderness to save his life, where God promised to protect him and provide for him. Yet in an odd turn of events, God tells Elijah to go to Sidon, to Jezebel's homeland. And with this, this grand story of political corruption and international intrigue becomes a very small story about two people whose paths would have never crossed except for divine initiative. Two desperate people who had to depend on each other for their very lives. It's the creative compassion of God that brought these strangers together to care for each other. In mercy, God provided them with this unending supply of food so they would not starve. But I see God's mercy at work on another level as well. Each of them had to overcome a prejudice in order to receive what the other had to give. Elijah had to see this widow as something other than a dangerous, unclean foreigner. Jezebel did not represent every person from Sidon. Elijah came to recognize this as the widow extended hospitality and cared for him. He was open to new perspective, as was she. The widow had her own prejudice to deal with. She called Elijah a man of God as if it were a curse word or an insult. When her son became gravely ill, she was quick to blame him. You and that judgy God of yours, I knew that you came here just to expose my sin and to take my son from me, to punish me. I knew it. Superstition came tumbling out of her. But when Elijah blew the breath of life back into her child, the mercy of God broke in on her like a healing tide. Now I know what it means to be a man of God, she says to him, that the words in your mouth are true. The widow was reborn, restored, given new life, along with her son. God's mercy is like this. It seeps into the small spaces of our lives, the troubled spaces, when we are in the grip of all of those things that don't seem very godly, fear and prejudice, the preoccupying worries of this difficult life. When we are not thinking about God, when we are angry at God, when God feels like a stranger to us, it is there that God's mercy finds us. 
Divine mercy is not the icing on the cake of a well-arranged holy life. It is the meal itself, manna from heaven, that which saves and sustains and has the power to bring us from death to life. I suppose it's tempting when we read these stories to focus on the miraculous nature of the healings. If God were to raise my loved one from the dead in front of my eyes, then yes, I would find it easy to trust. But I actually think that God's mercy is the miracle. The reality that God sees us, recognizes our struggle and our pain, the particular ways that we are in bondage, that God finds us in these lonely places and feels compassion for us, I find this miraculous. This is a God with whom I can be in relationship, a God who meets me in compassion and not condemnation, a God whose mercy has the power to change me. We speak so often of tender mercies, and God's mercy is tender, but it is also powerful. It has the power to move us from fear and worry to a place of deeper trust. It can free us from our prejudices and open us to new perspectives and experiences of God. God's mercy has the power to carry us from hopelessness into hope and healing. Each time we pray, Lord, have mercy, we entrust ourselves to this God of small spaces, this God who has entered our human story in Christ, the one who raises us up and brings us into life. Thanks be to God.